Welcome into another edition of a new track record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you will be joined by a special guest in a bit that we had a chance to talk with earlier as we record here on Friday morning ahead of the GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But Justin, it's been an eventful week for you. So let's, <laughs> let's see your life health update. Yeah, life health update. This is why we're a bit late this week at the podcast out. So last Saturday... Uh, woke up in excruciating pain very, very early in the morning. Diagnosed with kidney stones. Was in the hospital uh, all day Saturday. Well, the pain meds that I was taking, nobody told me that it also um, really backs you up. So uh, I won't go into any details, but gastrointestinal issues midweek and had to get those dealt with at the hospital overnight as well. So uh, still have the stone in there. Um, haven't passed that feeling better otherwise, but, uh, the pain kind of comes and goes based on the pain meds, which, oh, by the way, create gastrointestinal issues. So, you know how it is. You take a prescription medic and, and the side effects are almost worse than, than what it treats. So that's where we're at. That's, but I am going to thoroughly enjoy a whole, a, a, a relaxing weekend this weekend without much work. And we'll watch the GMR Grand Prix from home. Unlike you who will have boots on the ground. Yeah, I'll have boots on the ground. Turn one, uh, I'll be there. Uh, road course turn one, of course, not yes. oval turn one. You'd be way far away from it. Yeah, that, that would not be really worth anything, in, in my opinion. I know that I think they sell seats up there. I do like think a, so, yeah. In-house, but no. Uh, road course turn one, that's where I'm usually always at. Looking forward to it. It It's a fun event. Um, Low pressure, right, as far as, as attending as a fan. There's not... Yeah, you're it's not, not a long day. Oh God, well, how long? Up yeah, how long am I going to be in traffic? When do I need to get before, there? Yeah, if that, claim your spot. I mean, I've showed up like Just right chill. as the race is starting before, so it's a lot more relaxed, laid back. But uh, we'll have a uh, Nick Yeoman on who'll join us in uh, a little bit. We talked to him on our morning radio show uh, earlier, and so we'll get to that in a bit as well. Preview the GMR uh, Grand Prix plus some news on a hundred days to Indy and just other random updates uh, throughout the month of May. A lot of news regarding in well, indie lights, indie next uh, guys as well that we will get to Indy 500 attendance. You, you heard it from Doug bulls on the other episode this week. If you missed that, you can download that one. Uh, talked with him earlier this week. He, he brought up a, attendance is trending up. In fact, even up from last year, about 1%. So, looking at an even bigger crowd. So positive news on the attendance front. But with that, we'll get to our interview. Nick Yeoman of IndyCar Radio joining us on the guest line. Good morning from IMS, Nick. Oh, gentlemen, that's good to talk to you. Yes, we are happy time of year to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And yeah, just rolled through the gates about uh, 20 minutes ago. So we're excited to kick this weekend off down here. What is your assignment for this weekend? Where will you be positioned throughout the track? Uh, so I will, I will be in the booth calling uh, the Indy Next races, which is kind of the feeder series, but for the big Indy car race for qualifying later today and then on the race day. I will be 11 stories off the ground on the roof of the Pagoda. Uh, I can see the skyline of Indianapolis. I can see Lucas Oil Stadium. I might be able to see your station there in Fort Wayne. I'm so high <laughs> up there. So uh, it's, it's a great view. It's one of the few spots where I can see probably – 85% of, uh, of this road course and most of the ovals. So it's a bird's eye view, and I'll be calling them as they uh, haul the mail down Holman Boulevard this weekend. 
And Nick, you texted earlier or tweeted earlier this morning about just uh, it doesn't matter how many times you've been there when you get there in May to start the festivities, it still hits the very same. Well, and, and I know you guys are big race fans, so you know exactly that 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 feeling. I mean, I first time I came to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I was about four years old. So, like, it doesn't matter now that I'm 35 and I've worked. You know, this will be my 14th month of May uh, with the radio network. When I roll through the gates, I still feel like a kid uh, here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This place means so much to, to so many people around the state. And this time of year is so special as well as we kind of, you know, crescendo towards the 107th Indianapolis 500. So, yeah. It's hard to not to, to be a little emotional and uh, and sentimental when you come to the racetrack for the first time for the month of May. I was certainly feeling it this morning, and uh, I know a lot of race fans uh, feel that same sentiment. Nick Yeoman, IndyCar Radio, joining us on the guest line. So let's get to this race weekend. Weather could maybe be a factor today, likely not going to be a, a big factor tomorrow, at least as of right now. Of course, it's May, so that could change any moment, but... Looking at the contenders, is this the race that Romain Grosjean gets his first career IndyCar win? Man, it, it feels like he's got a good shot. He's on a heater right now. I mean, finishing second at Long Beach, and then I know he felt like he kind of let one get away uh, down in Birmingham a couple weeks ago, but he has been knocking on the door. And then you look at his, you know, again, it's not a, a long history of running an IndyCar, but uh, in his, his couple years that he's been with this series, this road course has been one of his better tracks. It's where he got his first pole. Uh, clearly, the Andretti Autosport team that he's driving for seems like they've got their act together a little bit more this year than they had the last couple of years. So things are trending in the right direction. I think Roman's he's, he's driving confidently. Uh, he's showing a lot of pace. And, yeah, I, I think he is going to be a serious contender. And it wouldn't shock me at all if we're talking about another first-time IndyCar winner Saturday afternoon. Staying with Andretti Autosport, this was the site of last uh, the last win for Colton Herta. It's been now a year he was a guy that, that many still consider uh, one of the top next-generation drivers in this series. But um, now that we're a, a year drought without a win and he's struggled out of the gate this year, are we starting to feel the sense of urgency for Colton Hurd at least in 2023 to be a championship contender heading into this weekend? Oh, I would, I would think so. No, I, I would say he needs to get uh, things put together pretty quickly because guys like you know Marcus Erickson and Scott McLaughlin and obviously his teammates – Roman Grosjean are off to such a strong start in the championship. I mean, some of the Aero McLaren drivers have been running better as well. So, uh, yeah, no, this would be a perfect weekend for Colton to kind of right the ship because for whatever reason, some of it's been self-inflicted mistakes. He had some bad luck. That's stuffed in the tires at St. Petersburg uh, by Will Power, but uh, it has not been a great last 365 days for Colton Herta, and it's kind of rubbed some of the shine off of him. Of course, everyone was talking about, well, is he just, you know, the next American hope to go Formula One racing? And now I, I'm not sure, you know, there, there are some other prospects that people are looking at. So Colton's got to get things turned around, but he had a miraculous run here a year ago in the wet. So if we do see some moisture tomorrow, as you mentioned, the forecast looking a little bit better uh, by the hour. But if there is moisture tomorrow, Colton was sliding around this place left and right and picked up a big win. But, uh, yeah, he, he's got to get it going because uh, it doesn't take much. As deep as this IndyCar field is, you know, you string together three, four bad weekends, you're just simply not going to run down the top contenders when we're talking championship and looking long-term throughout the summer months of this IndyCar schedule. Nick Yeoman joining us. A couple of guys who normally don't qualify well here, Graham Rahal and Scott Dixon, but they always seem to find their way to the front on race day. It's shocking to me that Dixon has gone his last six starts on the road course 
and hasn't even been in the top 10 in any of those. Do, do you think this is a weekend where he not only turns it around as far as results-wise, he's never won at this track, one of the few that he hasn't, but also qualifying-wise as well? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you speak of those numbers, and the trends are not in his favor. And uh, and really, this has not been a, a really strong – the road course in Indianapolis has not been really strong for, for anyone on, on the Ganassi team. This has kind of trended more towards – a Team Penske racetrack, obviously, and Ready Autosport found the quick way around here a year ago. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm not super confident in, uh, in, in Scott's you know, chances of, of getting a uh, win here this weekend, but he certainly needs to qualify better. And, and then you mentioned Graham Rahal. I mean, Lord, Gra- Graham Rahal doesn't qualify well anywhere, but uh, it seems like you drop the green flag and he's always going to be plus 8, plus 10 by the end of the day. But uh, this is one of those racetracks that, yeah, you, you need to qualify well, and, and uh, the pace is usually so fast. We usually don't see a ton of yellow flags, so it's a little bit harder to maintain or, or pick up track position if you don't start well. So I would expect uh, qualifying later this afternoon going to be a premium for guys like Scott Dixon and Graham Rahal who are outside of the top five in points and really looking to jumpstart their season and build a little bit of that momentum heading to the 500 here in a couple weeks. Nick, you, we look at turn one as usually the, the turn of chaos, turn one, lap one. It's been okay, uh, at least last year was. That's where Caleb will be tomorrow in his seats uh, on the mound. But can you, can you predict maybe how this race is going to start? Are, are we doing a, a, some lap one, turn one chaos tomorrow, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I think you just jinxed it by bringing it down. <laughs> <probably. laughs> oh, it, it is. It, it's just a remarkably tight right-hand 90-degree turn. Um, I will say in the shared IndyCar NASCAR weekends that we've had the last couple of years, the IndyCar guys have gotten through that corner a heck of a lot better than the NASCAR drivers who you know, usually just pile drive each other through that, uh, that turn one portion of the racetrack. But you also got to keep in mind this IndyCar field continues to grow. We've got you know, 27, 28 full-time cars on a given weekend. So getting them all through turn number one has been a challenge. They've done a nice job, but you're right. We are probably due... Uh, for a couple haymakers down there because I, I just I never know how they, they figure it out. It's, it's obviously very wide, the front straightaway at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and they can fan out and use play of the racetrack. And when they head down to turn one, uh, you guys are going to see them three, four, maybe even five wide. But then it really funnels in to, to set up for the left-hander of turn number two, and uh, that's oftentimes when we start to see the contact. They make it through turn one. Then they lose their minds and they start running into each other in turn two. So we'll keep the fingers crossed, but uh, no, it wouldn't shock me at all if we see some, some wings and some uh, bent tempers uh, in turn one and turn two on the opening lap tomorrow. Nick, something that fascinates me about the GP is so many people are focused on the Indianapolis 500 and how this kind of kicks off the month and all that, yet this is a key race because once you go into the 500, you, you say, okay, points don't matter. But when you come out the other end of May and headed to June, all of a sudden you're six races into the season and you're like, holy crap, if you're in a bad position in the points. This is a very important race because it sets the tone maybe for the second half of the season or at least the post-500 season. So how do teams approach it? Yeah, and I think there's even more importance placed on this race now that they've done away with double points for the Indy 500. So now you're looking at, hey, this is your second best opportunity to score some points. They're still going to give out some championship points uh, for qualifying here in a week for the 500. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this race adds a little bit more importance. And you're right. You have to come out of the month of May uh, looking strong because the schedule, that's when we start to see week after week, back-to-back races, races every two weeks. And that summer stretch is when, uh, you know, things get, things get pretty early pretty quick. So you have to maximize your opportunity 
And for some of those drivers, I mean, you look at Joseph Newgarden, Will Powers, Scott Dixon, these are multiple-time IndyCar champions. They're on the outside of the top five in points. So if you're going to get things going, you have to do it in the month of May because I just don't think you're going to run down some of these guys and, and expect them to have bad luck, even if you are able to string together a couple wins in the summer months. For people who maybe only watch the Indy 500, who are unfamiliar with the road course race, how would you kind of you know, tell them what is different about this event? Because it's not like the, the hustle and bustle of race day at the 500. It's not jam-packed. It's not stressful to just find parking and to get to your seat. What's kind of the biggest difference you would kind of tell people about this event compared to the 500 coming up in two weeks? Well, I, I think you touched on it. I think it's a great event to introduce people to IndyCar. If you can't get out for a practice day to watch these guys turn laps at 225, 230 miles per hour for the 500, and, and certainly race day on Memorial Day weekend is intimidating because they're sick. you got to do a lot of planning to make sure you get to the track in time and, and deal with the crowds. So if you're looking to get introduced to IndyCar, get up close, you know, see these drivers do something a little bit different than oval racing, I think it's a great weekend. I always encourage fans, too, to move around. There's, there's viewing mounds throughout the course uh, of the racetrack, some different perspectives to see these drivers race around here. So I, I've always looked at this weekend as kind of a nice way to kick off the month of May. It's, it's not as big as the Indy 500. We're not going to see the big crowds, and, and none of us are talking this event up as if it has the prestige of the Indy 500. But I think it's a good way to kind of slowly ease into the month of May, and it's a perfect opportunity bring families out, bring kids out, and introduce them to racing and not have to worry about you know, all the stress of, of making sure you can get to the track and deal with 300,000 other people on race day on Memorial Day weekend. Nick, when you return to the Speedway, what, uh, what are you looking forward to in terms of the food department? What, what, uh, what, what gets you going when it comes to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on that side of things? Oh, man, you know what? I'm always a sucker for one of those giant turkey legs. You know, I mean, they're just, they're just look like Fred Flintstone hauling one of those things around. Um, but I also got to be careful because, you know, I got a job to do up in the corner. The last thing I want is, is to have to, you know, use the restroom in the middle of the race. So I'm usually eating pretty light, which is difficult because I'm a bigger guy. And, man, it just smells and, you know, the, the stuff you smell around the Indianapolis Motor Street with the concession stands, you know, the tenderloins, and, and obviously – those giant turkey legs, it is always very tempting. So that's what I'm going to take advantage of some of these practice days. I'm going to get out here and I'm going to sample some of the great food they got here at the Speedway. Thanks to Nick Yeoman for joining us and looking forward to the IndyCar radio call for that event, as always, and IndyCar radio in general. It's amazing how much more exciting, you know, people say, well, sports aren't that great on the radio. Uh, listen to a race, whether it's NASCAR yes. or IndyCar, completely different. Definitely. Sometimes they can make a race sound a hell of a lot more exciting than it actually is. That's for sure. But uh, I know it's been it's it's customary for you where you grew up. You were used to the blackout. Yes. And so it's not as big of an adjustment as other people maybe outside the market. They say, oh, my gosh, how is this still a thing? People like me. But uh, you I mean, do you remember listening to it on the radio? Oh, yeah. 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 As a kid. Yeah. Listening to it on the radio. Um. You know, whether we we're doing stuff on a Sunday afternoon or also we would, you know, watch it that night and, and usually kind of have uh, sometimes even have like a watch party or even go to someone's house to watch it, especially as I got older. So, you know, I have a lot of nostalgia as far as listening to the race on the radio as a kid growing up. Yeah. And then later that night watching it on, on TV on on then it was WRTV and then obviously they, they flipped to 
WTHR in recent years, but you know, there's just part of a part of it. And I have no problem with the blackout. I know a lot of people do, but here's the thing. I go to the race. I, I honestly just don't care. Like yeah. I, I don't care about the blackout. I like how it's set up now. I get that they have DVR now. So people who go can watch it after. But here's the thing. It's not just about filling the seats and you know, you, you actually get a higher TV rating. It's when a it's huge TV out. rating. Um, yeah. But one, because it's in prime time, so you're getting a better rating, at least in the local market. Right. But also, uh, for the radio network, that's a huge moneymaker for them to have that live a- across the country, and especially in Indianapolis. I mean, the only place to hear the race. That's that's a big deal. Yeah. And so that's a factor. Plus, for the town of Speedway and... You know, there's an Indy Star column by Greg Doyle, their sports columnist, kind of coming around on the blackout, talking about how it means so much to the town of Speedway to have all these people come in. Now, as as things change, like people are so set in their ways of just going to the race as opposed to being because you can't watch it on TV. Right. But a lot of that's tradition and that's what people are used to. If you put it on TV live, you know, I, I under I'm fully for putting it on TV live if it's a sellout and they're closing in like there is a slim chance that could even happen this year as far as selling out all of the reserve seats and that could very much be in play say next year in fact I think it will be with Kyle Larson coming in I think there'll be a lot of buzz and a lot of hype for that him doing the double Um, but I, I just I don't know if I'm a traditionalist or what but I just I don't care about the blackout it doesn't bother me that people who want to go, go. If you want to watch on TV, it's 2023. Go get yourself a VPN and watch it on Peacock. Like, right. You know, the, the complaining about it, you know, maybe in years past I could see it, but anymore, there are alternatives to find a way to watch it. You can figure it out. And I understand for people who are older where they used to go and, and it's too hard for them to get around. I understand that to that aspect. But I'd say the majority of the people complaining about the blackout aren't those people it's interesting that in my memory of 500s when i was young the one that i remember and i don't remember which year this was um i think early 90s sometime so i was around 10 11 i think is my dad worked at a credit union and for some reason that sunday he had to run into work for a half hour 45 minutes and the race was on and he uh, piped it through the PA, through the radio. So he was working in one room. I could hang out in the other room, still listen to the race. And that's what I remember. I don't remember tuning into the 91 race or the 94 race. What I remember is listening to that early 90s race. And again, I can't remember it on the radio uh, at the credit union. And, and it's just kind of weird on what you remember, what you don't remember. But to your point, that one of my few memories as a kid of the Indianapolis 500 and it wasn't live it wasn't on TV it was radio and it goes to show you the the power of radio and audio as far as like I remember listening to bits here and there and I think my family I, I forget what we were doing that day but the 2000 Indy 500 I remember catching pieces of it on the radio and I think we went and did something that day and then came back to the car and listened to the race on the radio oh is Juan Montoya still ahead yes he's still dominating yeah, like yeah. I still remember that yeah. Like, whereas, you know, you don't have that same kind of connection as far as with other, other things, as far as watching on TV. 
I guess like I do with some other events because you're very like the kick six. I I very much remember where I was at watching that is that's a college football thing for people who are familiar. But I was in the press box at Lucas or yeah Lucas Oil Stadium for state finals mm -hmm. football and uh, hearing people just go crazy. I I didn't see it live. I but people going crazy that weren't covering the game I was covering that were waiting or whatever. And yeah, that's what I remember. So those those types of things you remember where you were, right? Yes, exactly. But I also will say is my approach to the to the blackout. It's different for me because I didn't grow up in the indie metro area like you did, so I'm not used to the blackout. Is if it's being used because they feel like more people wouldn't go to the race, I don't really buy into that because I still think in 2023 the Indianapolis 500 is one of those events. Very few sporting events, I think still transcend television that you say you have that it's still a better experience to go to the Indianapolis oh, 500 yeah. than watch w- without a doubt it is to to anyone who loves racing or even just loves like the event like I, I've yeah. had people go in, in our group over the years who like that's the only one you know they went to the 500 once and it's like they they're a lot of these people aren't even a race fan and yeah you're maybe not necessarily converting them to become an IndyCar fan but it's an event. It's to say, hey, I've been to the Indy 500. Right. And if you grew up in the Midwest or have any connection to the Midwest or any connection to motorsports, that's still a big deal. Yeah. And will always be a big deal. You talk to any Midwesterner, it's either, have you been to the Indianapolis 500? And, and usually you have at least one person in the group. Oh, you got to go. You got to go at least once. Right. So uh, with with changes in technology and all that, and it's so easy to just, instead of going to an NFL game, watch it on TV, or instead of going to a baseball game, watch it on TV, it's still is an experience to go to the Indianapolis 500. And I remember back in the day when I was a kid, they still had the blackout rule in, enforced for like Colts games because the Colts couldn't sell enough tickets and there That's were right. games that you couldn't see. I remember that. They, they could not sell enough tickets yeah, it when would, they stunk. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. Man, it doesn't seem so long ago that that was a thing, right? Yeah. But I get that that's like the, the final sporting event holding on to that because you would still have you would have like a company step up and buy like four thousand tickets on saturday so the game would actually be on television correct and that was like how you express that's how advertising worked in that realm is oh maybe we'll get business because we're the ones you know buying all these tickets so the games can be on television and the goodwill will gain from that well will be good advertising it was a, a different world for sure yes so again yes you won't be able to watch live on peacock if you're in the central Indiana area because the, the geotag thing, but I, I just think just get a VPN. If you're going to complain about it, I I'm just at the point where I get it. IndyCar fans want to complain, but even I'm sick of the complaining about, about that specific topic. Now, so, am I biased because I'm used to the blackout and it doesn't really like, yes, it impacts me in the sense that if I were in Indy that weekend, which I'm always in Indy that weekend anyway, yeah, and didn't go to the race, which I don't foresee that happening, you know, barring some extenuating circumstances. One, I'd be very happy to listen on the radio. Yeah, for one, uh, and two, it's 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 one of it. Like you, yeah. you can if you if you're that desperate for a workaround, you can like find a way fine. to do it. I I'm just I am at that point. So anyway. Enough, enough about the blackout, right? Enough about the blackout. I think if 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 you're outside of the Indianapolis metro area and it bothers you, 
like it, it it doesn't affect you that's my thing like because it bothers me to a certain extent but then i start thinking like you know what it affects me none so why the hell am i worried about it yeah yeah it's it's very very true uh okay so let's get to the gmr grand prix which will not be blacked out on no, local indie television be. uh for this weekend so green flag approximately three i think i saw like 330 ish 345 uh, for the race coverage start at three or 330 coverage at let's see at 330 330 yeah. to six the tv window i don't need that long of a pre-race for the no grand prix so around 340 345 or so i think is the green flag for this saturday and we look at things of note for this one and and, and i think number one ramon grosjean we talked about it with nick yeoman i mean if this were going to be a weekend, he'd win. He's won two poles in the IMS road course. He's had some good finishes there. He seems to be having a really good season so far. I mean, just think if he doesn't crash out at Texas with, what, two laps to go and finishes in the top five, I mean, he's likely leading the points, right? So right. he's had a, a great season, a great bounce-back season, and I, I think he has to be the favorite going in. I think so too. The, you know, with the chance of of rain and and as the as the week has gone on and even today has gone on, it seems like less and less of a chance for rain tomorrow. There's a chance of maybe a stray storm in the afternoon, but I think this race is going to stay dry, and that takes the unpredictability element out of it. So I, I do like Grosjean. I, I for lo, for flowing European style tracks or courses that we go, so felt like you know the opportunity at Barber was for him to win, opportunity at the Grand Prix this weekend for him to win. It fits his style, it fits his comfort zone, and he's gonna get it at some point. And uh, tough to disagree, especially with the way he's been driving. He's not leading the points, and of course we're not talking points championship here until after the five hundred. But we know enough to know that he's not leading the points, but he has been at the front in every race in the closing laps so far this season, four for four. Of course, um, you know, the miscue at St. Pete with Scott McLaughlin and, of course, uh, the late crash at Texas. But he has been a factor at all four races so far this year. And I feel like he's been, right now, the most complete driver in the series. I don't expect that to, to continue through 17 races, but at least through four races, it's hard to argue with that. Yes. No, I, I, I would say it's hard to argue. Now, Marcus Erickson, Alex Blow, they've been pretty consistent. Uh, Pato Ward had a good start, a rough Long Beach. But, but I think overall, Ramon Grosjean, it's been a, a complete turnaround for him. So that's a look at, at some of the storylines uh, for there. You know, touching on, on Grosjean real quick, yeah. and, and when he made the jump from Formula One to IndyCar, there was a lot of discussion on, well, he couldn't, you know, people putting out quips and, well, he couldn't win in Formula One or he couldn't perform. He lost his seat. You know, he's just going to be a crashing machine in IndyCar and he's not going to be success. And despite the fact that he has not even won a race yet in IndyCar, a lot of that talk has gone away. So I know that him getting a win will uh, really validate that decision and validate him, but I think he's already proven a lot of people wrong in how he has raced in this series for two plus years because around the time he made that switch there was a lot of people talking about how he was going to bring his uh style of, of of crashing and aggressiveness and taking himself out and all that stuff to indycar he's had some moments but overall he's been a solid addition to the field and a lot of those criticisms have gone away 
even without winning a race. Yes, and I, I think he will win a race. It's it's hard to believe he hasn't won a race since like GP2. And yeah. What was it, like 2010, 2011? Yeah, it's been over a decade, I think, since he's actually been on the top step of podium. So if and when that happens, I'm sure it will feel like a, a huge relief for him as a race car driver. Yeah, and like him or not like him, I, I, f- I find it hard for anyone to not want to see him get a win. You may not you may not be a fan of Romain Grosjean, but I've I don't think very I think very few people out there are ad- adamantly rooting against him winning a race. I think it'd be cool for Grosjean, cool for the series, uh, a great story. Of course, everybody will, will revisit the the crash uh, in Formula One um, in Bahrain. But uh, just a guy that hasn't won in in twelve or so years has said everything correct about IndyCar and thoroughly enjoying himself and has really uh, acclimated himself well into the paddock and, and his family into into the country and all this stuff. It's just a good story, and it's going to be great. It's going to happen maybe as soon as this weekend, but it's going to be great for, for Grosjean to get a win. And, and why not? Why not get his first win in over a decade at the Speedway? Okay, some uh, three key stats courtesy of Chad 200 that he puts out before every race and for the GP, and we, we talked about it with Dixon, uh, Dixon's last six starts here, 12th, 15th, 16th, 26th, 21st, and 20th. Ooh, not ideal. Yeah, so we'll see if he can turn that around. Power, five wins, six bowls, 348 laps led. No other driver has led more than 98. Remember, Simon Passion, you know, has won this uh, a couple of event uh, a couple of times as well, so that's that's saying something. Graham Rahal improved 85 positions of their last 12 starts, most top 10s at 11 among all drivers for the IMS road course. So something of note. time to pick winners. Who you got? <laughs> I mean, after that, you got to go Grosjean, right? Yeah. I, uh, is that who you're picking? That's who I'm picking. Like I, well, if you're going to take Roman Grosjean, well, you can I'll, take him too. Okay. There, yeah, there's sure. No, there's no rule. We can both be wrong. I am rooting for Roman Grosjean. I found myself actively rooting for him at Barber. Um, I want Roman Grosjean to get a win. I almost want him to get a win so I can stop worrying about him trying to get a win. <laughs> um, so I hope everything comes together this weekend for Andretti Autosport and Roman Grosjean. He's my pick to win the GMR Grand Prix. And your pick as well. Yeah, that's my pick. I mean, I think I said it just post-Barber that I thought, well, he should be the favorite yeah. for the GP, and I still firmly stand by that. We'll we'll see, and I'm sure we'll be made to look like idiots oh, after this weekend. It doesn't take but, much. Yeah, but uh, that's that's where we stand on the race. All right, so if you agree or disagree with our picks or anything, please let us know. You can reach us, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free to subscribe. We'll send out uh, new episodes and any special announcements. Plus, check out the store. We have T-shirts. If you want a T-shirt before the Indy 500, make sure you get that order in soon. Also, stickers for sale as well. And you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash record, and be a supporter as little as $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob Stitch, and others for their support and uh, others for chipping in as well. And you can always find us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, the handle on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Our email, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, CastBox, what have you. As always, all for free. Okay. Mailbag time. And we do have several items 
on the agenda to get to. I, I mean, so much happening in the last week as far as news goes. Uh, our news and notes is going to be jam-packed um, this week. But going all the way back on... Uh, let's see. Let's go all the way back. All the way back on our mailbag for this week. And... What do we got? DC Soda. I agree about the struggles of some of the smaller teams so far, but saying only four teams can win a race is funny. Those four teams account for about half the field, guys. Yes, half the field, but back when it was Pinsky, Ganassi, Andretti, that was half the field, too, when it was like 17 cars. Yeah, right? I, I don't know if, if, if... Did we say only four teams can win a race? I don't know if we specifically said that, but we said there are think, four teams and everybody else. Yeah, because basically. there's no midfield anymore. I mean, th- a certain weekend where everything lines up for sure, something can happen. But yeah. I think the separation between the top four teams and everybody else has never been bigger in the last what would you say seven eight years? In my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple years where you know Honda had the lesser aero kit, yeah. so it was if you had Chevy. Right. You were ahead like in 2015 in particular. Because the problem is 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 there was always a mid-level team that was really good. So you could say, oh, ECR, they're always fast. That's become a tired type of thing because they, they don't perform on race day. I don't care how fast they are during the week. I don't care where they're at a pole. They got to win a race or win a 500, right? Uh, so ECR, probably the worst they've been in what? Four or five years? Yeah, it's it's been a clear downgrade and they kept everybody i think was it marshall pruitt saying that they they kept everyone and yeah either you're gonna see them figure it up, out with the, those guys or, or really really take a step back and you know hopefully this is the month they turn around because not only do they qualify for the well for the 500 they've qualified well for the road course race in past years as well yeah. so that's something you keep in mind and that's the problem here is in years past we've said ecr shown flashes renus vk has gotten a couple wins but right now that team doesn't look like it's capable of winning the winning a race so ecr is down you look at ray hall letterman lanigan they don't look like a team that can win a race right now they're struggling the most they have in several years uh you keep going um, when you look at Shank, all kinds of lost with Elio and Simon. I mean, this team doesn't look like it's capable of winning a race right now. Okay. They're having the, their worst run since they became a full-fledged team, to be honest. You look at Hunkos, not in a position to win a race right now. They're on the rise, but not in a position to do it. Coin. I mean, maybe... They could they could jump up and surprise, and that's kind of what Coin does, right? They kind of come out of nowhere, but in terms of consistent competition, not seeing it. So that's the kind of problem. Is I'm not saying another team or another from another a driver from another team can't win a race, but a lot of these teams look the worst that they have in several years in terms of competing, and that doesn't bode well, especially for the championship, obviously, but. When it comes to races, like I, I know that there's more teams out there than the big four, but the separation between the two has not been greater in some time, in my opinion. And how much is is it that because you've added another, so to speak, super team, and, and Andretti also seems to have you know, put themselves back up on that elite level now right. based on their performance so far this season, um, with McLaren you know, poaching guys even from Penske, for example, right. like Gavin Ward, 
Um, and then and guys going from these smaller teams and just having another team with a ton of resources. Totally. How much is that perhaps an, it, a part of that impact? Yeah, and and here's the thing: is is it's a team that has decided to spend a ton of money, and that's what's needed, yeah. right? Yeah, that's so that's what you need in a race. Instead right? <laughs> of three teams spending a ton of money, you now have four teams spending a ton of money, and you know what? Those are the four teams that are going to win the majority of the races, and that's just how racing works, right? That's true. So, unfortunately, I think what the series has come to in the last couple of years is, to me, I count a lot of these other teams out because. Ray Hall's struggling. ECR is struggling. And not just through the first four races. I'm talking the last couple of years. ECR has struggled. Ray Hall has struggled. Um, well, Shank has struggled. Like VK was great pre-injury last year. And then since, it's, yeah. it's been rough. Yeah, it's been terrible. Did he win a race last year? Or was no, it two years it ago? it was two years ago. Okay. At the road course. Yes. So that's my thing. It's been a couple of years since ECR was even... I mean, VK when he was winning races was looked upon as when his contract was up, was going to be very, very highly sought after by one of the power teams. And now look at it, not so much. So that's, that's, I think is, is effective as I know everybody loves to throw parody and anybody can win, but at least for me, it's, it's the, it's the first time in several years that I can look at this, this, um, this paddock and say, Man, there's a lot of haves and there's a lot of have-nots with teams. I mean, you can even look at it for the Indy 500, right? Where you have five at Andretti, four at McLaren, three at Penske, four at Ganassi, and that's almost half the field. Yeah. But that's the half you think that can win a race, that can win the race. You might throw in a couple other cars here or there, and it's, right. it's so early. Yeah. But if you were to take a driver you know, from that group of, what, 15 cars, I believe, Right. Compared to everyone else, you'd take that that group of 15. It almost falls into the championship discussion that I always bring in. People are always going to talk about ECR and, oh, they're always fast in May. Have they won a, have they won a 500? No. Then I don't think they can win one. Until you win one, I'm not putting you in the conversation of winning. It's like a championship. So, oh, Dale Coyne, oh, they're always spunky. Have they won a 500? No. No. They've not a won a 500. I mean, for, yes, I know technically they won a 500, but it was may as well have been 300 years ago. Um, you look at... Shank, yes, they've won a 500. And I think they can be a factor this 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 month with Elio, or at least at the 500. But for majority of the season, no. Elio's past his prime. It's obvious. Uh, Simon may very well be. This could be his final season in IndyCar. I think it's it's definitely the final season for Elio in terms of full-time. It could be the same thing with Simon. He could be in sports cars full-time starting next year. So that's kind of what I'm approaching is I'm looking at these teams and I, is ECR is like a prime example. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Like, do we think they're capable of winning? If if things went the right way last year with Graham Ray Hall, maybe he does win that race. So maybe you give them a fighter's chance. But week in and week out, right now I'm not with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. And, and with Lungard, the road course races, that will be his shot. I, right. I think he'll have an opportunity there uh, with either of those races to to get podiums at worst as far as contending for that and then wins are a, an outside shot but I'm, I'm, you, you, yeah. you got to be perfect right yeah and i'm just tired of the ecr like i know you have to find storylines i'm just tired of the ecr discussion about how they're always fast in may and blah 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 they haven't won a 500 i don't care what you do in practice i don't care what that team does on qualifying weekend win a race outside of 2018 ed carpenter when he finished second right but power beat him out on the on the final pit stop sequence. I mean, that that was their chance and right. unfortunately did not go their way for that team. Uh, 500 Indy 1911. 
Churchill Downs is the Augusta of horse racing. <laughs> yes. Thank you for tagging us in that. That's perfect. Uh, when is was somebody going to compare a, a, a facility to the barber of something? Probably never. Probably right? never. Probably, yes. Probably not going to happen. Can, uh, can, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the Belmont stakes will say they're the <laughs> Belmont of horse race or the uh, barber of, of horse racing. <laughs> a lot of replies on the F1 race from Miami. Um, I posted the the, gif the guy of sleeping the guy and then wakes up and, and clapping. Yes, watching F one race. So, it's still sitting in DVR hell for me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I I watched about the final fifteen laps and it was hard to pay attention. I was trying uh, to stay out of. I was working that day, trying to stay out. I don't want to know anything. And then it popped up on my phone and saw Max Verstappen won. I was like, okay, yeah, why bother? I'm thinking, hey, ninth, maybe something happens. Maybe right? he doesn't win. No, um, no, no, he won. Uh, Daniel SEM 2004 says the only exciting thing was hoping for some free Chipotle, but even they made it, made it bad. Yeah. Talking about Haas, Ben Smith for real said, really? Uh, Lee J Walker for that's actually what happened to me. Didn't realize the wife came home and changed the channel. <laughs> <laughs> I am analog. Uh, I sat down to watch it, then realized it would probably be more entertaining being outside and getting destroyed by pollen. Yes. NK Harden didn't watch a second of the F1 race, but I'll assume Red Bull led every lap. I believe that's true. Max was in the top two within 10 laps. Uh, I think it took a little bit longer. Red Bull won by at least 20 seconds over the next car from another team. So two for three. And box this lap 2X. I did actually fall asleep for the middle 15 laps. So, yeah, and because the, the the bad thing is, at least in the morning, when you watch majority of, of uh, F1 races overseas, you're getting up, you're drinking your coffee, blah, blah, blah. Like 3.30, that's prime nap time. On yes, a Sunday afternoon, correct, and nothing can put you to sleep than a Formula One race this year, and it was the perfect elixir for some people who were trying to get a good nap in. Yes, I uh, I was trying to stay awake because if I take a nap on Sunday afternoon, that really messes You're- me up for going to bed that night. Um, you posted this poll calling it the two weeks of the Speedway, the month of May. Seventy eight percent said, "Shut up and go with it." <laughs> 22% it's false advertising a lot of votes. Well what what, what what went my way was was well, why I brought that up is because the I think I was in IndyCar on NBC or even IndyCar put about put up the schedule and say said something about oh what a month it's going to be or get re- ready for the month and it was just a two week schedule. Yes. And I'm like I I know it's technically the month of, but then it's also technically just two weeks. Um I know just just roll with it but it just it's still kind of weird to me hickey 93 surely there's more important things in the world to worry about right rhetorical so we won't we won't even answer it yes uh, because I, I responded to hickey because i was like well this was in the middle of my uh yeah my, my kidney stone trauma so i was running out of of relevant things to do so i was like ah, i'll just throw up this poll thompson 419 my thompson uh from beyond the bricks no problem with it whatsoever since it's being held in the month of may and there are no any car races held at any other track during the month that's a good point uh, Poet Shevchenko, I think it's okay now, but if I don't advocate to expand it closer to the full month, then more of the discussion will be about how it is okay to further shrink it. That's a good point. You've seen that happen over the years. DC Soda, I really don't care much, but they also aren't anywhere else during May, right? There's already events going on. Even if cars aren't on track, I don't think it's false advertising at all. Yeah, I mean, technically it kicks off with the 500 Festival Mini Marathon, right? That's true. Uh, TG Van Horn, a tip of the cap to the glory days of long ago, 30 days in May. Yes, I, I've i never experienced that. So, Could you make a point that it maybe officially, unofficially starts with the open test? You could. Yeah. You really could. Now, that's not in May, though. No. 
But it's in late, what, late April? Yeah. yeah I think it's close enough. So I, I think you can make that point. Now, the problem is, though, they do race after race that. weekend yes. after that. So it does make it a little bit tricky as far as True. how you go about it. All right. So I got to get to this email because my apologies for forgetting to get to it last week. So it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let me scroll all the way back and make sure I get to this because... I forgot it last week, and that's just another week of forgetting it, and I don't want to keep forgetting it time after time Until after time. it becomes time. irrelevant. Yes. So that's the biggest factor uh, by actually getting to the email, because we're going back to April now, so this is really bad. All right. Joe Deppy. Hey, guys. I was intrigued by your discussion on the sale of IndyCar and the future of the Indy 500 as a standalone event. For the record, I think it's unlikely, at least while Roger is still alive. But a standalone event that could be used as a concept comparison is a little 500 at Anderson Speedway. USAC killed pavement racing for sprint cars almost 10 years ago now, but the little 500 is well attended as around 40 entries every year, which include top USAC drivers. I guess my point is that, in my opinion, the Indy 500 not being a points-paying race on a future IndyCar schedule wouldn't necessarily mean the prestige would be lost. In fact, becoming a standalone event could help bring back innovation as the cars would probably need to be specially built for the race in a future world where there's no other IndyCar oval racing. Interested to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Thank you, Joe. Um, I mean, look, it, it used to be more of a standalone event. Yeah. Um, back in the day, because they didn't really have like at AAA and then USAC. Yeah, USAC. But the, the series really didn't expand, you know, much until what the the 60s really is when yeah. they started adding and then by the 70s it was run by USAC and you had a a, a full schedule the, yeah. put together and then cart after that and then then you had the split so i think it, i think as a standalone event it would be helpful to go back to the days of specific rules for that Mm-hmm. And not or just saying, lack of rules, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, too. and not just doing the, oh, the, these are the super speedway rules like they do now, like for right. Indy and Texas and whatnot. Like, yeah. I'm for, for that, for sure. I I, I agree and disagree, too. I, I think, it, let's say the Indy 500 was a standalone event. I think there is a place for it to still be a place where you have alternative energies and alternative formats and, and, and different constructors and engines and companies and, and, and all that. But I don't know if you can ever get back to the quote unquote old days where it was really run with your brung, right? More run with your boat based on regulations and safety. Like you could get away with running some of the most dangerous technology on the track back in the day, right? Like you could show up with a jet engine and try to, you know, right. You could, you could show up with, um, just an exotic, uh, basic design. You could have stuff with, with, uh, with no wings and all this stuff. And like the safety element of things, if, if somebody showed up next year, if, if it would, let's use this for example, showed up next year, if there was open, um, open regulations is I want to run a hydrogen powered car. It'd be like, whoa, 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 like hydrogen, like that could explode, right? Now you could say also gasoline, ethanol could explode, but people, they probably aren't going to let you run a hydrogen powered car, at least in the sense of if it's highly flammable or whatever, right? There's safety, there's regulatory things. Go back 40 years ago. Yeah. They probably weren't 
you know, monitoring things. They definitely weren't monitoring things as much as they do. So I think there could be innovation. I just don't know if it would ever be true innovation like what we saw back in the day. But if you open it up to businesses and corporations and, and all that stuff and, you know, did it that way, I think there's a market for it. But I just don't know if it would be as successful, as popular as the 500 is now. And even then, it's far from being as popular as it used to be. All right, that wraps up the mailbag. Time for news and notes and a ton to get to. And uh, there was a ton. And I, I'm trying to remember, did, did we cover this last week? I feel like we did not because this came out after we what recorded we the free agency article uh, last week. Oh, no, week. that was right. Yeah, it was we right were, after. Um, <laughs> we were um, considering doing a show or doing a uh, special annotated show about that but no we did not get into it silly season is wild so 28 or 29 car grid this is all from marshall pruitt as he's kind of weighing the the silly season for 2024 so 28 or 29 uh one that's wild now ramon grosjean is is a free agent i would expect him to sign an extension that's what marshall pruitt is is reporting um penske's locked in completely no surprise there Chip Ganassi has Scott Dixon locked in. Alex Plow, we expect to go to McLaren after this season. And then it gets tricky. Marcus Erickson. I mean, he's technically a paying driver, but could he move seats? Uh, because it seems like his some of his funding could actually go away. Um, he's been successful enough that yeah, he should be he, he, paid. Correct. He, he, he joked, not bad for a paid driver after winning the 500 last year, right? So uh, he should not have to bring you know, any kind of money. Now Sato working on um, sponsorship to do ovals, unsure what next year looks like. And then Kiffin Simpson, the development driver for Chip Ganassi, uh, could he move up? There's a a chance a fifth IndyCar could be entered for him. And then Aaron McLaren, you have Pato, you have Rossi, and then you'll have Pillow coming in with Felix Rosenquist. Bit more of a question as far as the fourth car whether that's for him or for someone else, but that's to be determined. Um, they're out of space. This is crazy. They're out of space to sell sponsorship on their three cars. Yeah. We couldn't even slap a new track record podcast sticker on no. on a McLaren car right now. They have no spots available. So they may expand strictly on needing more space for advertisers. If they continue to add, then you have Andretti heard is locked up. Kirkwood locked up Grosjean. You would expect to, to get an extension. Then DeFrancesco, last year of his deal, change is anticipated, according to Pruitt. Then at Ray Hall, Lungard secured, Graham Ray Hall, Jack Harvey, final year of their contracts. Harvey's got to perform well right now. In fact, Pruitt's in the mailbag this week. Uh, that, you know, And this was said going into the season in his season preview that Harvey had to perform well early in the season. Otherwise, there's a possibility of him being replaced around Indy. Now, does that mean after the Indy 500 or before? Unclear. But you have Toby Sowery getting that uh, test with Ray Hall. That's coming up in June, June 8th. Um, so that's perhaps an option. But that'd be after Detroit. Then you have... Linus Lundquist Linus is out Lundquist there. Linus Lundquist is tested with them. And then there's this. So Pruitt's saying in the rail ba- uh, mailbag at racer.com, word on the street is jettisoning Jack, as in Jack Harvey, would cost at least $1 million with some form of early termination clause. That's wild to me. 
Yeah, whoever got that contract for Jack Harvey uh, did good a damn job. good job because <laughs> that may prevent RLL from getting rid of him because that's a lot of money to jettison a driver midseason. And that doesn't even include having to pay for the new driver or if they bring money. So that, that's a significant investment to get rid of somebody. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Yuri Vips is another guy uh, name being thrown around. He's also tested for RLL. But there's some major changes coming to that team. I don't think that anything's getting turned around anytime soon. The fact that we get excited about one decent run for Christian Lungard really shows you how terrible that team as a whole has been. This year has not gone well. Meanwhile, no. Meyer Shank Racing, uh, guaranteed you're going to get half turnover. Most likely you could get total turnover with that team. Tom Blonquist, who's an IMSA, he's been repeatedly mentioned, is headed to one of the team's IndyCar seats in 2024. He's 29 years old. This is not a surprise, right? He's, he's no. tested with them. It seems like a, a all but a done deal. Then Marshall throws this out. If Ray Hall moves on from Harvey, would he be welcome back at Meyershank Racing, where he, you know, he had a, a podium result. He had some success. It was right. building, and then he left, um, and has not gone well. I don't know. Is that an option? Then driver changes at Dale Coyne. You know, could HMD the the HMD aspect break away for their own team? They have like a million cars in Indy lights right now. They do. Ed Carpenter racing, Hunkos Hollinger racing. Obviously you would expect Callum Eilat's going to be coveted as if we mentioned. In fact, he goes on to say that a lot of teams he's on the radars of Andretti, Ganassi, McLaren, Meyer Shank, and Ray Hall rumored to be of interest to team Penske before Will Power even got his new extension. So that's saying a lot um, as far as if he's unclear now, I think I read Nathan Brown a few weeks ago had an article talking about Ilot and like technically this is the last year of his deal, but there's other wording that it's unclear uh, beyond that. But he is going to be coveted. And then Marcus Erickson, uh, he's uh, apparently his backer, as I mentioned, done with bringing sponsorship after the season. So that's going to be a factor as well. He's the guy who should be hired on talent at this point. That should not be something that that factors in. To me. The biggest domino is Marcus Erickson because of his ability. Indy 500 winner. Uh, he's a race winner this year. He's won races in what, three of his four seasons, I want to say. Yeah, he didn't win his first year, but then. Or three he, in his five. Uh, didn't win his first two years, right? But it had a lot of success end of 2020. I think he had like a string of top tens to yeah. close out the season. Yeah. But then, uh, one Detroit the year after one Nashville and its first iteration, then one Indy last year. Uh, here's the thing with chip Ganassi racing. We've talked about it here. And for a long time, it was who replaces Scott Dixon with this team as their primary bullet in the chamber and sets the tone for the rest of the team. For a while there, we thought it was going to be Alex below, right? Finally, Chip Ganassi Racing has found somebody that can uh, lead this team into the future when Scott Dixon retires. Well, Alex Pelot's on the move. He's going to McLaren. Now, then they had Marcus Erickson. They have Marcus Erickson right now. Now, it seems like maybe he could be that guy. Indy 500 winner. Hasn't won a championship yet. Potentially could be. Hasn't even finished in the top five in the championship yet, but knocking on the door. He could be that dude that really breaks out this season. What does it say about Chip Ganassi Racing? If they let another talent that could potentially be the uh, the anchor for this team for the next 10 years leave 
And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Chip Canassi let Alex Pillow get away. They can't afford to let Marcus Erickson get away. No, no. And that's the biggest thing here. Uh, as far as you have to be able to keep these guys. Then, then the other guy is Felix Rosenquist. You know, does he have to win a race to keep that seat? Potentially. Does that, win, does that even save him? Does I don't know. Winning Mid-Ohio save him from and he's losing not, his job? He's not even keeping his seat because he'd be going to a fourth car. Right. But, uh, and Pruitt says, I'm not completely sold on Rosenquist being the key to whether Aaron McLaren would push out to four full-time entries. I think it's just best available. Even mentioned Mick Schumacher uh, yeah, said to have an to- eye on IndyCar, which would be fascinating uh, to have him in any car, but you know, Felix, could he go back to Ganassi? Could he yeah. go to Andretti? Like either way, I think there's a market for him. He's, he's a good driver, but you need to see consistency from him. And then David Malukas, uh, another guy who Pruitt brings up as far as he'll be a factor in free agency. Again, could they start their own team or stick with DCR? That's a possibility. Um, Graham Ray Hall, a free agent. I'd be shocked if he goes anywhere else. Me too. Personally. Yeah. Linus Lundquist has some interest, been associated with Meyer Shank and Ray Hall uh, as a possible contender. Even Oliver Askew mentioned out there, uh, it'd be pretty hard. And then as, as far as he closes it out, you have 28 or 29 entries is a outside shot. Is that too many Plus, cars? I, I'd say so. Able Motorsports, you know, could they expand uh, beyond just doing the Indy 500 this year? And then Cusick Motorsports wants to expand. Prado Autosport, you know, wants to do more races. We hear this every year until it happens, though. Yeah. I'm a believe it when I see it. Yeah, we're, it's only May, and we don't even start the season until next March. But the, these articles used to not even come out till like, July <laughs> right. in the gap. Yeah. And then we'd now have a so lot much. settled at mid-Ohio. That was always kind of the, the flashpoint for silly season. Now we're getting it before the season and before the Indy 500, <laughs> which is why. This keeps getting earlier and earlier, which is the way thing. the business is going, for sure. I just, I have a hard time getting excited about 28 or 21 car, 29 cars. Like, folks, like eventually there's too many cars. The, the series is already up against it at a couple venues with 27 full-time starters. 29 is too many cars starting every race. 28 is too many cars. You could argue that 27 is too many cars starting every race so what what's what's really the cutoff point where indycar says look we're gonna start having knockout qualifying at every race if we're showing up with 28 29 cars meanwhile jimmy johnson undecided if he returns to the indy 500 in 2024 indycar deep throat uh telling me a week or so ago that that was a, a possibility that he could come back uh as far as return to the Indy 500 for competition. Speaking of the Indy 500, other notes to get to. Scoring Pylon has a new look as they've given it a facelift. Also, the parking sold out. Parking and mm. camping sold out for uh, race day and race weekend for the 500. That's not really a surprise. They unveiled the new pace car, a Corvette hardtop convertible, Z06. It has, I believe, the most horsepower of any road car mm, nice uh highest horsepower naturally aspirated v8 engine ever to hit the market in a 670 horsepower is that not more than an indy car yes it is because <laughs> aren't we talking about the new engines we get back up yeah. to like 700 yeah would, would go or up 800 but, you know that's wild to me so that's cool the corvettes look everyone's like oh it's just another chevy product well yeah they have an official deal with 
with the speedway. Yeah. And, and these the, cars they've rolled out in recent years have been absolute beasts. They have, and, and this year's model, or maybe it's in the last year's model now, like looks as supercar esque as a Corvette has in a long time. Like I still will see a Corvette coming from two, three hundred feet away and going, "What kind of yeah, supercar I, I, is I think, that?" Yeah, no, it gets me every time. I know, and then it's like, like, "Oh, it's a Corvette, Fort Wayne." That yes. I'm thinking. Wait, is that a Ferrari or yeah, is that a Lamborghini? Is no, that was that a Corvette. McLaren? No, it's a Corvette. It's just so striking the 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 body type with, with these. Yeah, it's a phenomenal car. Uh, speaking of IMS, Able Motorsports, they're there in in Gasoline Alley with the number fifty. So yes, no we'll sponsors see. on it. Speaking of <laughs> of our our stickers, somebody yeah. slap one on the side slap pod a of those. On. That uh, thing. Make sure to get a picture before it gets ripped off <laughs> yes. and you thrown out. Uh, Ernie Francis Jr. will not participate. That entry will not participate as well for the uh, lights race this weekend. Um, he suffered a fractured wrist from opening lap contact back at Barber. So unfortunately, he will not participate. So that's a, a bummer. That's tough, particularly for, for his championship. Correct. All right. So that's a look at some quick items. Let's get to other news items. Lewis Hamilton and IndyCar. I'll believe it. When Does I this see move it. the needle for anybody? It doesn't me because it was all over social media and people kind of grab it. It was like a throwaway quote. Yes. Like the most we're going to get is Lewis Hamilton driving an IndyCar around Road America. He's never going to race an IndyCar. No, he, he's, he's never going to race. He's never going to test at Indy. It's never going to happen. He said, I sometimes watch IndyCar. I'd love to try one of those cars at some stage, a.k.a. a test. Yes. He'll he'll test on a road course or something. He's not running Indy. He's not testing at Indy. He's not doing any of that. He's not getting anywhere close to ovals. I guess like I love Lewis and but to me it just doesn't move the needle. Like if he got into a car tomorrow at Road America, it's cool, but I, I don't think he never does a race. No, I I I would be shocked if that were a guy to that just wants to take a car for a test drive basically. Meanwhile, back in IndyCar in the paddock, so Nathan Brown reporting a quote from Mark Miles, more likely than not that 100 days to Indy will continue past, well, Indy, mm-hmm. beyond the, the, the recap of the Indy 500 Will they then be revamped to 365 days to Indy? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> After that. But there were some interesting quotes in that story by Nathan Brown, and it was, it was a good article, is... Uh, we've made a lot about the um, ratings or lack thereof for the show through the first couple of weeks. But as what's pointed out by Mark Miles is they're looking at this more as a streaming show. And he said, you know, even him himself has to be reminded of that because he's an immediate returns type guy with his history in television and sports is this is more a streaming show. And yeah, we're putting it over the air, but we're also trying to, re- to get people to go and watch it be a stream in other other ways. Basically it's been 500,000 TOD per episode. Is that kind of what I'm understanding? Yes. When you factor in, you know, both airs plus streaming numbers, streaming and all that. And And he said the goal was kind of 300, 400,000. So they're surpassing that. They're surpassing that, which is good news. And I will say having watched each episode now, I've been working on stuff, having on in the background outside of the first like 20 or so minutes of episode one, where they're having to introduce everyone I feel like they've done a great job of, of showcasing IndyCar between making it look cool, also making it look accessible and, and kind of getting inside these drivers' lives. I, I think it's been I think it's been a, a good addition. I, I have enjoyed it. Now, 
Um, I and would it's love, not even for us. Yeah, that was what I'm saying. I would love to hear from some people that now they're probably not listening to this podcast, but li- like to hear from people somewhere that have been turned on to IndyCar because of this. Or are the 500,000 people watching this also the same 500,000 people that are tuning into every race? Yeah, that's the concern, right? Hey, right. That's that's the thing. Speaking of uh, at least race attendance, ticket sales up for Iowa and Detroit. This is Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com. So obviously we had great numbers for Long Beach, and now the upcoming events at Iowa and Detroit have great numbers as well. Bud Dinker of Penske Entertainment saying for Detroit, we're way up to the, the prior year, or excuse me, this is for Iowa. Uh, but remember last year, we didn't put the tickets out until the first part of April. So it's hard to compare year over year, but the, they're up. So that's positive. And the other good news is Hy-Vee building additional bleachers around turn four in pit lane, putting in more suites in turn one behind pit lane as well. A big response from their sponsors. They have more interest in suites than they had from last year. Plus, a, obviously, an A-list concert lineup. Um, club seating sold out for both. Iowa race and concert days. A lot of other, you know, regular seats remain. So that's a positive. Now for Detroit, this has had a lot of success as well. I will be attending that. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot bigger crowd. So they've sold 64 chalets, according to Dinker, from a lot of 70. So 64 out of 70. And he says they had 23 last year on Belle Isle. Pit lane's installed with the dual pit lane, which will be interesting to see how that works. Ticket sales up to almost 105%. Sold out of all the hairpins. That's kind of the area where a lot of the stands are going to be, a lot of action will be. So I think this will be a big event. And you've been kind of hyping this up behind the scenes. Yeah. This has been underrated. This is basically a new street course event. It's being added. And the amenities and the hospitality and all that stuff are going to be... up exponentially from what we were used to at Belle Isle because of the limitations of the island and the configuration and what the the series was able to do. So I'm truly excited. I think this has the potential to become one of the biggest events of the season for IndyCar each and every year. Of course, the home of General Motors. Roger Penske has so many connections in and around Detroit and his and growing his empire. And I think there's a lot of potential there. You have a lot of motorheads, right? You have a you have a lot of people that are interested in IndyCar and around that. And and it's not a, a, a terrible place to get to from where we're at. What it was, it's a, three and a half hours to Detroit from here. I mean, you're coming from Indy, you yeah, two and, four and a half. half. So it, it's not that bad of a drive either. And uh, it's going to be exciting too. So uh, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement around a street race. And so much has been made in Asheville for good reason. But man, I don't think Detroit's getting the hype that it deserves. All right, a couple uh, other items. In fact, Will Power saying this, the Detroit circuit reminds me of Nashville. I think that's a good thing. I know a lot of people disagree. Tweets of the week time, a couple to get to. First off from HD underscore BK, Brian Kelly, who's with the shop. Read diffuser at the IMS troughs. Roger really has thought of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anything and, and everything. And he posted a picture, so that's great. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Blackstock, Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter. Uh, I believe she writes for Jalopnik. Me. Can I go to the greatest spectacle in racing? Mom, no. We have the greatest spectacle in motorsport at home. The greatest spectacle in motorsport at home, and it's a picture of the $42 Wagyu steak sandwich at Miami F1. 
Man. Uh, it's just a ham and cheese sandwich on a sub bun. We talked about that on our morning show, just the uh, ex- extensive, insane prices, like stupid. I don't care if it's VIP area or not. That's stupid money to pay for food. And then Colton Herta, Brad Pitt got a super license before yes, he me. Did. Tough. Now, what's funny is that tweet was since deleted. Oh, really? Uh, which I find Aww. really, really funny. Um, not not Herta's tweet, but ESPN F1 was the, ah. the, the tweet there. And that has since been deleted. Uh, but yes, that, that was by far the tweet yes. of the week. Tweet of the year, to be honest, in IndyCar. I don't think you're going to... To no. top that. In reference to the movie that's yes. being developed about Formula One with Brad Pitt, to the extent that he is, yes, going to be driving a Formula One car um, to get some some footage for the movie. So that wraps it up. Time for tweets, uh, or tweets of the week. Time for random split air driver now, of the week. Now, I have my split air driver of the week ready, but we have some breaking news. Oh, Caleb. I love breaking news. Posted by Marshall Pruitt this morning. Uh, we're talking Friday morning. Argentina IndyCar race conceivable for 2024. Whoa. Now, there's a lot to like in here. There's something to not like in here. Now, Mark Miles explains as it would be a post-championship non-points race for 2024. It would be raced next year, likely in the fall. And a follow-up quote from Ricardo Juncos basically says, the run-through would be that 2024 race to make sure everything goes okay with the expectation that in 2025 and beyond, it would become a regular part of the schedule paying points. Now, that's a bummer I, as far as the, the exhibition aspect. I, I can accept the exhibition aspect if it's a one-year thing to make sure everything goes okay and then you make it a points race as opposed to approaching it like it's always an exhibition. I don't like it for 2024, but I guess if you're going to run it in October, November, um, it kind of doesn't make sense, I guess, for the points. I kind of get it that way. But if you run it in October, November, and then come back around and run it in what? February or the March You got to remember the weather is flipped as far as their winter. True. Or their winter is our summer and vice versa. So that makes it tough from a logistics standpoint. Now, I remember Ricardo Junco said previously in an article, and I can't remember if this is with Auto Week or with the Indy Star, saying there were some some obstacles in place they had to get past as far as getting this event you know, buttoned up and, and ready to go. And also there was a, a leak that there would be two IndyCar teams testing there this offseason, I think in a, early October, with one of them you would assume would be Junco's and, right. then, and then another team. But... Either way, this is this is big because it's not it's not just that Augustine Canapino is going to be a draw, and he will be right if he's still in the series. And I don't I don't know why he wouldn't be, um, unless you know the the only disaster is like if say if he fails to qualify for the five hundred, then that right. really yeah. really kind of hurts True. all of this. But they've hosted MotoGP there, as we've mentioned. This is going to draw a lot of fans. Think about fans. You know, from Mexico, who may instead want to go to Argentina. Um, fans from Brazil. That's what Ricardo Junco says. Is like pulling, being able to pull from Paraguay and Uruguay and Chile and Brazil. And uh, the, the exact quote from Junco is talking about the the format of the race. It says, uh, and this would be, uh, it has confirmed that this would be at the Autodromo Termas de Rio Hondo, which is where um, they had the private uh, test. 
um, well, not the private test, the public running, but uh, basically said, quote, if we can get it done, it would be a race after next year's championship, see how it goes, and if everybody is happy, then we'd like to make it a regular championship race. So kind of where where things are at. Um, it sounds like Kunkos also says that um, local government, pri- private investors working together to assemble the promotional fundage package necessary to bring the event close to reality. So there you go. Some b- bit of uh, breaking news here this morning. All positive things. Really, really looking forward to that and hopefully it, it getting off the ground because these are the kind of events that are beneficial. If you're going to go at international, you want it to be a good time zone. And that definitely checks that box. Yes. You want to have a good fan base in place. Argentinians love motorsport. Right. You, you can check that box, especially with a, a team owner and a driver from you Argentina. Don't have a formula one race. Yes. And they don't have F1. So you're not competing against that. So this is a, a great deal. I hope it happens. We shall see. Yes. And uh, if it's a one year test, test run exhibition to make make sure everything works and then add it to the championship schedule i am satisfied with that because that year one regardless of it's a championship race or not is just going to draw huge in terms of people going time for our random split air driver of the week all right uh, after the excitement of argentina we're going to go with uh a native italian and go with andrea montermini who Andrea Montremini, who made 19, excuse me, 19 starts, yes, in Formula One uh, with, uh, let's see, in 94 to 96, he raced in Formula One. Uh, he was uh, with Ford Simtech. He was a Pacific Grand Prix and Ford Grand Prix. He raced multiple times in multiple years in kart. Euro Motorsport, Peyton Coin Racing, King Racing, Project Indy, All-American Racers, five years, five different teams. But was talking about 1999 when he appeared in four races with the All-American Racers in Vancouver, Laguna Seca, Houston, and Surfers Paradise the year before. He, or excuse me, that was the only split era year that he was in um, open wheel racing, at least in North America. So previously he was in 2000, or excuse me, 1994 with Peyton Coin Racing, King Racing, and Project Indy. 1999 race, the Eagle 997 chassis, a Toyota-powered team, All-American racing. Four races. Uh, best finish was 11th at Vancouver, uh, but raced 20, or excuse me, 19 starts in Formula One, most recently in 1996 in France was his latest race. Never Finished a race in 1996 outside of 10th in Argentina. Hey, there's your Argentina yeah. connection. That's why I picked him. No, not really. But um, there's yeah. a lot of crazy connections yes. on the F1 team. So not just Simtech Ford, but MTV Simtech Ford. Uh-huh. I remember the I- iconic livery uh, from the 90s. Pretty famous looking F1 car. So the team, uh, Gilda Farron w- had sponsorship money initially considered for the second seat. Negotiations broke down. Then eventually it went to rookie Roland Ratzenberger. Unfortunately, uh, he passed away at Imola that year in 94. So then uh, Andrea Monterimini took over the seat for, for one race at Spain. Not much success. Um, y- Jos Verstappen uh-huh. was with the team as well. 
I mean, just a, a lot of names. But then his IndyCar career, as you mentioned, that's where he had a few more entries. Of course, with all American racers, which was owned by Dan Gurney. Yes. And, and it was the, his last iconic season. Iconic Eagle. Yes. His last season of team ownership was that 1999. Racing the 24 hours of Daytona in the early 2000s. Um, did some international GT stuff in the GTA class with Ferrari. But uh, has kind of tailed off since the 2010s. But uh, 58 years old, born in Italy. This week's Random Split Era Driver of the Week, Mr. Andrea Montermini. All right, we'll be back next week. We'll uh, make sure to look for more special episodes. We'll have a, a driver interview that will be dropping on Monday. And, of course, we'll do our race recap as well. For Justin Kinney, and thanks to Nick Yeoman, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.